Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We are going to continue in our, in our study, in our series that we have called Milk and Honey. Who's been enjoying this series so far? Raise your hand. Milk and Honey. We've been looking at the substance and sweetness of God's word and the story of redemption. Um, Bible commentators and theologians have been asked the question before, if you could summarize the entire Bible, which is a big book, right? If you could summarize the entire Bible in one word, what would that word be? And a lot of, a lot of smart people would say that that word would be redemption. It's God redeeming fallen mankind, broken humanity back to himself. And that's what this series has been all about, milk and honey, the substance and sweetness of God's word and the overarching story of redemption. And tonight, I want to preach a message to you that I've entitled, Control Versus Surrender. Who is this King of Glory? And in this series, We've been considering what, is, what has been referred to, what Pastor Nate and Pastor Shane have referred to as the melody of the Bible. And the melody of the Bible would be God's creation and commission, uh, man's rebellion and God's redemption, and then new creation and new commission. And we're looking at the story of redemption throughout Scripture. And can I just tell you something tonight, friends? Can I just tell you something? No? Who said that? Get out of here. I'm just kidding. Look, can I tell you something tonight? You, listen, you are a part of this story. You are a part of this story. Those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross and his bodily resurrection, you are a part of this story. You are a part of God redeeming mankind in order to one day be with him forever in eternity. And through this study, through this series, what we've, what we've observed so far is that God has a plan for mankind. God has a plan. And his plan involves people. The way that God heals the world is through healing individuals. Now, last week, Pastor Shane, he taught on Joshua and the people of God entering into the land of Canaan, the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who has ever heard those names before? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, raise your hand. Okay, the people of God, they enter into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And Pastor Shane had us consider how God used the children of Israel to be instruments of righteousness in driving out the wicked and evil tribes that had occupied the land of Canaan. And the purpose in doing this was so was not only to be a part of the righteous judgment of God on those tribes, but for the nation of Israel to remain a a nation of priests, holy unto the Lord. Now that's an important phrase to, to bear in mind, holy unto the Lord, meaning that the people of God were to live lives separate. That's another word for holy. They were to live lives separate, sanctified from the nations around them. And Shane t- taught us how they were to conquer 
compromise. Who remembers that from last week? They were to conquer compromise. Listen to this. They were to conquer compromise that would lead them into disordered love, having their allegiances disordered. And then from disordered love, it would produce idolatry, and then idolatry would produce all kinds of sin. And remember, God's plan is to use people to reach people for the sake of redemption. And the nation of Israel, set apart for God, would be people that would one day bring about the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Well, tonight in my message, Control versus Surrender, Who is this King of Glory? We're going to consider the life and the legacy of none other than King David. He's one of the most famous characters in all of scripture. He's Israel's greatest king. And he's a man whose life is crucial in understanding the overarching story of redemption. And his life foreshadows the very life of the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight, I want to answer four questions. These questions are going to be on the screen. I want to answer four questions. Here we go. How do we get to David? Who is David? What's his story? The third question I want us to answer tonight is, how does David's life affect the overarching narrative of redemption? That's a big one. That's kind of going to be the main point tonight, number three. And then number four, how does David's life speak into my life? Do you want to know how David's life speaks into your life tonight? Well, I hope we're going to find out together. So let's, let's answer this first question, how do we get to David? Okay, so last week, Shane talked about how the people of God, the nation of Israel, okay, they come into the lane of Canaan, or sorry, not Canaan, Canaan. The Israelites then continue to take ground in the land that was promised to them under the leadership of Joshua. Eventually, though, Joshua, their leader, dies. And this ushers in what is known as the period of the judges. Everyone say judges. The pe- Good job. The period of the judges. Now listen to me. This period of the judges after Joshua's death makes up just shy of 500 years. That's a long time. 500 years of the period of judges. And let me just summarize this time period for you. It is ugly. It is heartbreaking. It's just sad for the people of God. It can be summarized, this time period can be summarized in what I would call the cycle of self-sabotage. This is the cycle. The people of God live lives of obedience and devotion to God. That's good. But they start to compromise. Their compromise leads to sin. Sin leads to destruction and then occupation through foreign nations And then it leads to difficulty and hardship for the people of God. Then they repent, they cry out to the Lord, they ask that God would deliver them, and then God does bring deliverance, usually through the ministry of a judge. Now, a word that is synonymous for judge is prophet. That's why we call it the period of the judges, or the period of the prophets. God raises up a deliverer who can hear his voice and brings deliverance to the people of God. The problem with this cycle is it's a rinse and repeat. People compromise, they sin, it leads to destruction, occupation, they cry out, God brings deliverance from a judge, they turn back to him, and then it all starts over again. What we learn from this period, though, this is the big lesson we learn from the period of the judges, man needs leadership. Man needs leadership. Human beings are terrible at ruling their own lives. 
Do you feel that in your own life? Okay, human beings are terrible at ruling their own lives. Okay, so check this out. Toward the end of the period of Judges, though, we meet a very important character. God raises up a judge or a prophet named Samuel. Who's ever heard of Samuel before? Okay, Samuel is an OG, man. He is the man. So after, so Samuel is raised up after a period of many years where the people of God didn't hear God's voice. God raises up Samuel to, um, to speak, to be his mouthpiece, to speak to the people of God. But the cycle of self-sabotage that I just talked about, it rises up again. We read that Samuel's sons, okay, so Samuel and his sons were the last judges or prophets of Israel. But we read that his sons did not walk with God. They led for dishonest gain, they perverted justice, and they took bribes. That's what we read. Sounds terrible. Okay, well, this leads the people of God to cry out to God again, except this time they cry out for a king. They don't cry out for a prophet. They cry out for a king to rule over them like the other nations around them. And we read this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 through 9. It'll be on the screen. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, verse 7. And the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. Listen, it's not you, Samuel, they've rejected. They've rejected me as their king. Verse 8, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. And then verse 9, we read, Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. God makes it clear through the prophet Samuel that the people's desire for a king was ultimately because they were rejecting him as king. Now, eventually, this leads Samuel and the nation of Israel to choose their first king. And his name was Saul. Who's ever heard of Saul? Raise your hand. Saul was Israel's first king. Let me summarize Saul's life for you. Saul was great on the outside, but terrible on the inside. I have a point to say on this. The people of Israel were all about the optics, but God is all about obedience. The people of Israel were all about the optics, or the ops, as I would say. The people of Israel are about the ops. But listen, God is all about obedience. Can I hear a church tonight? Thank you. Saul looked good on the outside, but on the inside he was terrible. So it wasn't long. Come back to me. Come on, let's do this. Come back. We're doing this. We need to do this. Doing this. We need to do this. It wasn't long, though, before God would do away with Saul and handpick a king himself. Are you listening to me? Listen to me. Listen. God's going to do away with King Saul, and he's going to choose a king himself. This time, though, he's going to choose a king that would reflect his own heart. The story of the kingdom of Israel being stripped away from Saul and given to who we're talking about tonight, David, is where we read the truth. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Under Saul's leadership, the nation of Israel struggled to reach its full potential as a kingdom of priests and a light to the world. Saul fails to obey and wholly follow the Lord. Listen to me. 
That's an important phrase. Saul fails to wholly follow the Lord. That means to follow the Lord with his whole heart. Saul failed because his heart failed. He was rejected as king because he didn't have a heart of obedience. He wanted things done his own way. He may have looked the part on the outside, but his heart was far from God. So this leads God to search for another king, one who would reflect his heart, and this is where we find David. So we've answered the first question, how do we get to David? Second question I want to answer tonight, who is David? What is his story? Okay, are you tracking with me? Are you guys doing okay? We're going to keep going. We meet David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. God sends the prophet Samuel to the house of David's father, Jesse. Everyone say Jesse. Jesse. Stop talking to yourselves. Listen. I see you. Do you think I don't see you? I see you talking to each other. Oh my goodness gracious. Don't be like Saul. Be like David. Okay. Seriously though, come back to me. We meet David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, okay? And he sends the prophet Samuel to the house of David's father, Jesse. We've just said Jesse. And he searches out to anoint a new king for Israel. Samuel meets David, and God makes it clear that David, the youngest of eight sons, a little shepherd boy, overlooked by his own father, would be the new king of Israel. Samuel meets David, Samuel anoints David, but listen, David is anointed that day, but he's not appointed as king until 15 years later. He was anointed as king, but he was not appointed as king until 15 years later. David has to wait. I want you guys to listen to this, and this is going to be on the screen. King Saul lost the kingdom because of control. He wanted things done his way. David won the kingdom through surrender. David won the kingdom because he wasn't looking for it. So we meet David. And this is where David's life gets really interesting. He's got to wait 15 years to be appointed the king of Israel. But for most of those 15 years, David is being hunted like a dog by King Saul. You see, King Saul grew an unhealthy animosity for David. This hatred for David began as David was brought into Saul's court and hired as a musician to play the harp and soothe King Saul during his struggle with the distressing spirit that had came upon him. And then, most famously, this is David's probably most famous story, David courageously takes on the Philistine giant known as Goliath, at a time when the Philistine army consistently attacked and oppressed the Israelites. David defeats the Philistines' greatest warrior, and he's catapulted into an extremely successful military career where he wins the favor of the people. Dang, David. Like, David's coming back from slaying Goliath, and all the ladies in the streets are like, dang, dang, David. They're singing a little song for David. They're singing this song. Listen to the song the ladies are singing. They're like, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. What's up? What's Gucci, David? Mmm. I see you. I see you with that little harp. (laughs) Okay, okay, come back, come back, come back. Come back. 
David is catapulted into an, a successful military career and he gains the favor of the people, but he also gains the hatred and the jealousy of King Saul. And, and here's my disclaimer. I want to pause right here tonight. Look, it's going to be impossible for me. It's going to be impossible for me to summarize to you the entire life of David. I'm not even going to try to do that. I want to encourage you, though. Last year in 2022, the factory youth taught through the life of David. So if you're curious about the life of David, I want to encourage you to go online and go check out that series. Will you do that for me? Okay, we're going to move on. I want us to answer the, the, um, the third question tonight. We've looked at how do we get to David? Who is David? Kind of like what's his story? And we're pausing now. You know, David has this extremely successful military career. He's earned the favor of people. Okay, the third question I want to answer tonight is this. How does David's life affect the overarching story of redemption? Why are we highlighting David's life in this series, Milk and Honey, the substance and sweetness of Scripture? Remember, there's a melody that's happening throughout Scripture. We have creation, commission, rebellion, redemption, new creation, and new commission. So the question is, how does David's life affect this story? Okay, it's my first point tonight if you're taking down notes. David as king restores the nation of Israel to a nation of prayer, worship, and ministry to God revolving around the presence of God. David unites the nation around the presence of God through prayer and worship. That's how he contributes to the overarching story of redemption. And let me just expound on this point. I want to explain to you the significance of what I mean by this. Remember, the overarching narrative of Scripture in Genesis 1, we see heaven and earth, God and man, in perfect harmony and unity. But conflict enters as sin enters, and it causes separation and disunity. The process of redemption of that unity, of that relationship between God and man, it begins on Mount Sinai as Mo with Moses as God selects the people of Israel to house a return of his presence, to become a home for him. It begins with a tent. Remember, Moses constructs a tent with specific, a tabernacle with specific regulations where God's presence would dwell among his people to usher in this plan of redemption. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because in 2 Samuel chapter 6, on the coronation day of King David, we see David dancing before the people, dancing before the procession, bringing the ark of the Lord, which re represented the presence of God, to the city of God, to the center of the city of God. And that's where we're going to read tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 through 19. Listen to this story. This is David's coronation day. David's coming in as king. We pick it up in verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, oh, we're going to pause right there, sorry. It was 14 through 15. I don't know why I said 19. Oh no, we keep going, sorry. Oh my gosh. Verse 16, 
Sorry. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping (laughs) and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. This is like, um, by the way, Michael is, is David's wife. So it's not looking too good for him. Verse 17. So David's dancing before the ark. In verse 17, so they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Why do I bring up this story? Well, this is David's coronation day, and I want us to remember, I want to make a side note here. Immediately after King Saul's death, you remember that guy, King Saul? Immediately after his death, David didn't immediately take the throne. David was forced to wait in the wilderness for seven years until he could take his rightful place as king of Israel. Why? Well, because Saul's son, Ishbosheth, had occupied the palace by force with a militia. So David spends seven years in the countryside waiting for this imposter to stop sleeping in his bed. Seven years in the wilderness. Seven years is plenty of time to plan his coronation day. Plenty of time to think through every single detail of his first appearance before the people of Israel as king. And David's entrance is shocking. What we've just read is shocking. It's shocking in three ways. It's shocking because of what he's singing. It's shocking because of what he's wearing. And it's shocking because of where he's going. What is he singing? David is dancing before the procession and he's singing what we read in the book of Psalms as Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Let the king of glory Come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Wait a second. Isn't this David's parade? Is David not the king of glory? David enters to a song of praise. Listen, but he's not the one being praised. God is being praised instead. David makes the glory of God the center of focus. That's what he's singing. Okay, well, what is he wearing? We read that David, the new king at the front, not the back, is wearing a linen ephod, not a royal robe, not a crown, a priestly garment, but not the outer robe with its ornate design and tassels. He's wearing the undergarment. He's wearing the underwear of the priest. David is symbolically saying, listen, I am not a king who is coming to sit on the throne. I am a priest to lead you into God's presence. But I am the least of the priests, not even worthy to wear the outer garments. And he's dancing like a fool, kind of like a holy foolishness. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. The Ark which was the bridge between heaven and earth 
what represented the very presence of God. He's bringing the place of redemption, the thing of redemption, the presence of God, and it's finding its rightful place at the center of Israel's life. You might be wondering, well, if David's bringing the ark into Jerusalem, then where was the ark? Where was the ark? Well, you see, under King Saul, when things got comfortable, the ark was left in a foreign territory, just like we often do with God when things get comfortable. We forget about him when we apparently don't need him anymore. David hunts down the ark of God, and on his coronation day, God is given the seat of honor at the back of the parade where kings would usually sit. And David is, is the dancing priest in the front, and he's celebrating the ark of God being brought back to where it belongs. And where is he going? He's going to the center of the city to set up a tent David is bringing the ark of God to the center of the city, but not to rest in a temple, to rest in a tent. This is David's idea. After seven years in the wilderness, waiting for his coronation day, let's pitch a tent where anyone and everyone can come to worship and pray. Not fancy, but right in the center of the city. You know, when presidents take office, usually they make sure to accomplish an important first order of business to define their legacy, right, and to fulfill promises that they made during their campaign. What's David's first order of business? To reconstruct Moses' prayer tent in the center of the city, to reestablish prayer and worship as the heart of the nation. For David, this is more than a symbol. This is a new statement of value. We will be a nation that values the presence of God through prayer and worship, and it will be the center of everything we do. Are you tracking with me? Check this out. After his entrance and after his coronation, David sits with his board of advisors, and check this out. He empties the national budget by hiring 292 worship leaders, prophets, and elders to pray and worship in that tent. This is crazy. A king who's leading an army during a period of tribal warfare decides to empty the national budget on prayer and worship. Imagine that meeting. Hey, hey, David, hey man, look, we love your heart for prayer and worship, but like maybe... Maybe we should spend a little money on, like, our national defense. I mean, our enemies are, like, camped in the hills waiting to attack. But you see, friends, listen, the presence of God was David's political strategy. The presence of God was David's political strategy. The beautiful thing about this is that during King David's reign for 33 years, there was no restricted access to God's presence. So, how does David's life affect the narrative of Scripture? Well, David is king. He restores the nation of Israel to a nation of prayer, worship, and ministry to God, revolving around the presence of God. Second point tonight, how does David's life affect the overarching narrative of Scripture? Well, the throne of King David ushered in a promise that points to an everlasting throne, the rule and reign of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. 
Look, there's a moment in the life of David. Track with me, listen, focus, we're almost done, I promise. There's a moment in the life of David where he comes to realize that he has a palace, but God has a tent. He has an ornate, permanent palace for he and his family, but the presence of God is in this tent, and he inquires of the Lord to build God a house, to build God an ornate, beautiful temple to house his presence. He says, God, I want to build you a house, but you want to know what God says to David? I'm going to build you a house. You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. Well, what does that mean? It means this, David's descendants would occupy the throne and his throne would be established forever. Everyone say forever. How long is forever? Good job. Why is this important? It's important because if you follow the lineage of David, just a handful of generations, you arrive at the most important figure in all of human history, Jesus, the Messiah. The awaited Savior who would rescue humanity and sit on an everlasting throne. Consider this, this is what the prophet Isaiah said of Jesus and the throne of David. This is Isaiah prophesying about the coming Messiah. It, it reads in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So how does the life of David affect the overarching narrative of God's redemption of mankind? He centers the nation on the presence of God through prayer and worship. And because his rule and his reign points to the everlasting rule and reign of King Jesus that will bring wholeness to a broken world forever. Final question I want to answer tonight. We've seen how do we get to David? Who is David? What's his story? How does his story affect the overarching narrative of scripture? The fourth and final question I want to answer tonight is how does David's life speak into my life? What can we learn from King David's life? I have five things I want to share with you. Be secure. Be patient. Be trusting. Be about the things of God. And be repentant. So let's break these down. Be secure. What do I mean? talking about your identity. How does David's life speak to your life? Well, when I consider the life of David, I see a man who is secure in himself. From being a young shepherd boy in the field, overlooked by his own father. Have you ever felt overlooked before? David was overlooked by his own dad. Like when Samuel came to anoint the king of Israel, David's dad, Jesse, brings in David's seven older sons. He like forgets about David. It's like, forget about that kid. He's not going to be the king. Even when he was overlooked, David was secure because David knew who he was. I want to encourage you tonight. Listen to me, friends. Know who you are. Be secure in who God has made you to be. What do I mean? Well, for those of you tonight who have put your faith in Jesus, ladies, you are daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I preach that to you tonight? 
you are daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Sons, men, you are sons of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is who you are. You are children of the most high God. Listen to what Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 says about you. For those of you who have put your faith in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. You are redeemed, meaning you have been purchased back from the grip of sin and death by the very blood of Jesus. You have received an inheritance in God that will never fade away, and you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that guarantees your inheritance. You are loved. You are so loved. That is who you are. Be secure in your identity in Christ. Look, we live in a world that is full of confusion. We live in a world that is full of confusion. People don't know who they are. People are searching for who they are. Can I encourage you tonight, friends? Be secure in who you are in Christ. You are loved. Second thing is be patient. How does David's life speak to your life? Be patient. What do I mean? Not everything in life has to happen all at once. Be patient. Look, David, because of his security, because he knew who he was, he was patient. Remember, God had anointed David to be king as a young boy, most likely at the age of it, like a young teenager, like your guys' age. But he had to wait 15 years. And during those 15 years, he endured terrible persecution from King Saul. And check this out. David had two opportunities in that time period to kill Saul. You know that? Saul hates him. Saul's hunting him. And David is given two opportunities during his time of waiting to just take out King Saul. And if I'm being completely honest, I probably would have done it. I would have done it. Why not? Why not? But David was patient. David was patient because he was secure. Because he knew what God had called him to. So friends, listen, be patient. Not everything has to happen all at once. Okay, be trusting. What do I mean? Trust God's sovereign plan for your life. David was secure. David was patient because he knew that God had a plan for his life. The purposes and plans of God will always prevail. They will always win out because God is sovereign. He's worthy of our trust. Listen, David authored Psalm 31, and, and, and he wrote this, but as for me, I trust in you. Oh Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. And then at the end of that psalm, he wrote, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. You can trust in God because God is sovereign and God has plans and purposes for your life. And guess what? God's ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's plans and purposes for your life, friend, will prevail. And it's our call. It's our duty to trust him with the timing and the execution and remain patient and secure in who he's made us to be. So, be secure. Be trusting. Be patient. Fourthly, be about the things of God. Be about the things of God. 
David's most famous title, beyond king, beyond musician, beyond writer of incredible songs and psalms of prayer, David was known as being a man after God's own heart. It's his greatest title. After removing Saul, we read this in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. David was passionate about the things of God. We see this in his life, and we see this in his reign as king. He centered the nation around presence, the presence of God, prayer, worship, and people. And look, if you go and you read the book of Psalms, you read the songs of David, the prayers of David, you see a man who is endlessly pursuing the things of God, hanging on every word, bringing all of his burdens, all of his cares, all of his anxieties, his depression, and laying it at the feet of Jesus and trusting the peace of God that surpasses understanding to comfort him and strengthen him and sustain him. So be patient, be secure, be trusting, be about the things of God, and fifthly and finally, be repentant. When Jesus began his public ministry, do you want to know the first message he ever preached? Repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. David was repentant. When you read about the life of David, it it becomes very clear that David had a lot of failure in his life. He blew it, like, big time. But what kept him close to God was his heart of repentance and ownership of his sin. We're told in 1 John 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Be repentant. That's how David's life speaks into your life. Whatever it is you're carrying, whatever it is that's weighing you down, repent, turn, turn to God. So we see in the life of David a life that had a great effect on the story of God's redemption of mankind. God chose a king who would ultimately reflect his own heart, who would make the presence of God the center of God's people again through prayer and worship, and whose rule and reign points to an even greater reality, King Jesus. 